0: I am glad to be here today in this place and I'm glad you're here to meet with us together as a faith family. If you would, take your Bible that I pray you have brought with you this morning and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Now I'll go ahead and and warn you on the front end, we're going to be all in Hebrews, so don't open to chapter 1, hear me say Read the first verse and then close. Just keep it open because we're going to go through the book of Hebrews. Um, In the next few weeks, Brother Brian is going to be preaching a short series of sermons in the book of Hebrews concerning the call to believers, concerning the church, the local body, to hold fast. To hold fast to the confession of faith that we have been given, that we have been so freely and graciously given. To hold fast to it, lest we slip away. And so, in preparation for that, uh, Brother Brian and I talked this week when we knew he's going to be out. We thought, talked about doing an overview of the book of Hebrews to, to help prepare the way for us to, to go into the next several weeks of uh, looking at this series on holding fast to our confession. So, tonight, or today, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, the the entire book of Hebrews, looking at it as as a general overview, as kind of a survey. And so, what I want to tell you right off the bat is this afternoon, I would encourage you to read the book of Hebrews. It'll only take you about an hour, 13 chapters. None of the chapters are very lengthy. And so I want you to read through that. And even over the next several weeks, even into the the Thanksgiving holidays, read the book of Hebrews. Just soak it in. We do not know who the author is specifically. We're not told that and there's not a clear identification of who the author is. Nor are we told the specific audience. Other than that... This author is primarily addressing believers who have come out of Judaism. So they were former Jews. And now, having come out of Judaism, having been former Jews, now proclaiming Christ, proclaiming to be of the way, they have begun to face opposition, suffering, and perhaps even mild persecution. And some are at a point where they're now flirting with returning to their former way of life. The writer is pleading with them, and you'll see this in our text. The the writer is pleading with them to examine themselves, to stop, examine themselves, calls them to repentance. He wants to calm their fears. He wants to assure them that they are in good hands with Christ. Did you hear that this morning? That they are in good hands with Christ. Church, that's the title of the sermon today is that we are in good hands. And church, I want to affirm that to you today, beloved. We are in good hands. Amen? Amen. We are in the hands of Christ. And beloved, they are good hands. But it's one thing to say it, and it's quite another thing to believe it, and then another thing to live it. And thus the writer calls his readers to task. Listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Turn there with me quickly. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 Listen to what he says, and, and I would encourage you along. If you're taking notes, word, just circle the verse, or you can write the verse out to the side. Like I said, we're going to be many different places. Hebrews chapter two. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Do you, do you hear that? He's saying, how, if we drift away from what it is that we have been not only taught, but what we are proclaiming God has done in us as Christians, how can we escape the wrath of God if we neglect this great salvation. Let us not drift away from it. Beloved, when you read the book of Hebrews, you will see that over 20 times in this book, he makes a statement somewhere similar to that. It could be, hold fast to this confession. It could be, stay stay strong and endure and persevere to the end so that we do not drift away, so that we do not fall away. Whatever it is, over 20 times, he makes this plea to his audience. Well, why the warnings? Why not go back? I mean, we're just, we're just really talking about Judaism. We're just kind of really talking about the former ways of life, the former things of life. We may even still hold on to the, 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 the fact that there is a God and the fact that we do worship Him. We may hold on to those things, but why, why not go back? Why does the author plead with us to not go back? Why does He exhort us and remind us and tell us that we are in good hands? Four reasons that I want to give to you today of why the people, the writer, or the audience in the book of Hebrews were in good hands with Christ and, beloved, why today we are in good hands with Christ. Four things, four reasons today. Number one, Jesus is is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Why are we in good hands? Because Jesus is the Son of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Look at what the author begins. By the way, this is an epistle. This is a letter. And it begins much different than any of the other epistles. He doesn't start by saying... To the effect, greetings to the church. Grace and peace with you. No, he doesn't start off in any of that. Look at how he starts off. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What is he doing? He's laying out the progressive revelation of the scriptures. And that is exactly what happened, beloved, as we see this in the Old Testament. That God spoke to people in various ways. That He spoke to the prophets, thus saith the Lord. And then the prophets would speak to the people. Whether it be prophecy, whether it be judgment, whether it be a call for repentance, whether it be forth telling, whatever it is. God spoke to them. He also spoke through visions and dreams. He spoke through signs and wonders. And so He's telling them, long ago. And they would have been familiar with this having come from Judaism. They would have registered with this. That's right. We know about the prophets. And God spoke through them. But look at what He says in verse 2. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. In these last days, meaning after the life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, He has spoken to us no longer by the prophets, no longer through these visions and dreams and signs, but rather He has spoken to us by His Son. In John's Gospel it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is God. God. And later on in verse 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Beloved, God has spoken to us through His Son. He has said all He needs to say through His Son and through the Word that He has given us. It says in the last days, He has spoken to us through His Son and we are to listen to Him. We're to stop chasing rainbows and chasing after signs and all of these Outward mystical things. God Himself says it at the transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured, His glory was revealed to the disciples in Matthew chapter 17. It says, Jesus was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Sounds like the baptism of Christ, doesn't it? But he adds three little words to the end of it. And he says, listen to Him. The interesting thing about that is that Moses and Elijah were also there. And He doesn't point to them. God the Father does not point to them and say listen to them. No, He points to the Son of the living God. And He says listen to Him. And that's exactly what Moses and Elijah would tell us today. Beloved, we need to rest assured that not only has He spoken to us by His Son, but He has appointed the Son the heir of all things in verse 2. Through whom also He created the world. Jesus The Son of God, the Christ, is the creator of everything. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of everything. I love this example. You want to know how great the sustaining power of Jesus Christ is right now? Take in a deep breath and hold it. Right now, take in a deep breath and hold it. Do you know were it not for the sustaining power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ, you would never let that breath out. Let it out. Did you realize that? Your eyes opened this morning. You took a breath this morning. Why? Because of the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. But look at verse 3. He says, He is the radiance. I love this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So many today, I want to see God. I want to see God. Who is God? Where is God? Here is God. Jesus Christ. The incarnate Son of God has come to this earth and put on flesh. And the Scriptures tell us that He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Colossians 1 tells us that He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus Christ. He is the expression of God the Father. Why? Because He is God. Just as Philip the disciple says to him in John chapter 14, Philip says to Jesus himself, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Just show us, Lord. We don't don't doubt you. We believe what what it is that you are saying. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And Jesus rebukes him. And he looks at him and he says, Don't you see, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the father oh beloved our lord and savior is god of heaven and earth he is the one who sustains everything we need to understand today that regardless of what is going on in our life regardless what is going on in the world regardless of what is going on in our nation it's all his it's his beloved At the end of the day. To do as He wills and as He sees fits with it. And He has not lost control of one single molecule. It's His. He is sovereign over it all. And beloved, let me bring it home for you today. You know one reason why we're in good hands? Because we are created in His image. As human beings, we are created in His image. We're different than the animals. We're different from the plants. We have been created in the image of God. And beloved, we need to take comfort today that if His eye is on the sparrow, we know He is watching over us. You need to hear that today. You need to take comfort in the fact that our God is here and He is in control. And he sees you. And he sees me. And he's watching over us. And he's protecting us. Because he is Jesus, the Son of God. Secondly, second thing we see, the reason that we can know we are in good hands, is that his work actually worked. His work. Whose work? The work of the Son of God. Jesus Christ the Messiah. His work actually worked. Look at the second part of verse 3 in chapter 1. He says, After making purification for sins. Oh, we could spend all day on that. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Beloved, what are we getting at? Well, as you go through the rest of the book of Hebrews, you will see the author explain exactly what the work of Jesus Christ is, what the the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news is. Hebrews chapter 10 says, this is why he had to make a purification for sins. Hebrews chapter 10, 3 and 4 says, but in these sacrifices, there is a remainder of sins every year. Understand that the Jewish sacrificial system, it offered a sacrifice for sin, not just every year, but every day, multiple times a day. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice for sin. Blood had to be spilled in order to simply hold back, we're not even appeasing it, hold back the wrath of God against the sin of the world. The author of Hebrews tells us that... These sacrifices had to be done every year because, in verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was animal blood, beloved. It was not the blood of a human. It was not a human sacrifice as was required to pay for sins. And even with the sacrifices of the blood of the bulls and goats, it still A dirty conscience remained on those. They knew that the sin had not actually been removed. Why, if for nothing else, then that next year, that priest, that high priest was going to go into the temple and make a sacrifice. And come out and start the process over and over again. Hebrews chapter 10 goes on to say that every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Look at the glory and majesty of the work of Christ, beloved, as living, coming to this earth and living a perfect life. This is the gospel. He lives a perfect life. And then He was crucified as a criminal on a cruel cross, the worst punishment imaginable for the sin of the world. He took upon himself the punishment for our sin the wrath of God being poured out upon him and 3 days later he rose from the dead defeating death hell and the grave so that all that would trust in him would have a great high priest did you catch what it said when Christ said offered for all time a single sacrifice he doesn't have to do it anymore beloved when he said it is finished on the cross it was finished when He arose from the dead three days later and ascended into heaven and sent the promise of the Holy Spirit, it was confirmation that He was seated at the right hand of God in the hand of power. That's why He could say, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he goes on and he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way. See, beloved, this is how we know. Because we can come here today and not have a huge curtain behind this where only one person could go one time a year and meet with the living God. No, beloved, we can come here today and guess what? Draw near. We get to draw near and meet With the living God. That ought to move you today, beloved. Because of the work with Christ, we have a great high priest over us. One who has cleansed us. He has sprinkled our hearts clean from an evil conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Understand that you are clean before the eyes of God today from your sin. Did you know that? Because of the blood of Christ being imputed over you, covering you, God does not see you in your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering you and you are seen as perfect in His sight. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb today? Beloved, I want you to know that He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords because of the perfect work of Christ. He has ascended to the right hand of God. He is ruling and reigning now over everything that we see. He is our Savior and He is our Lord. He is the only Savior and Lord. Have you repented of your sins and trusted in His work that actually worked? Beloved, hear the cry of the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews today. Bow to Him today as Savior and as Lord. You will bow to Him, beloved. You need to understand that. You will bow to Him today, whether it is at the foot of the cross or at the judgment, you will bow to Him and you will acknowledge Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Are you washed in the blood? Thirdly, Why are we in good hands? Because our work, our work, or no work at all, never works. Our work, or no work at all, never works. This brings us back to the reason for the writing of this epistle. There were basically two groups in this uh, audience that he is writing to. There are those who are wanting to go back to Judaism. And then there are those who are simply spiritually lazy. So let's look at those two groups real quickly. The group wanting to go back to Judaism. the, the, The group who's wanting it to depend on their work I want to tell you today that your work does not work. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says, "...For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near." See, this is the point, beloved. In order to be reconciled with God, you have to be seen as perfect in His sight. Your sins must be washed away. They must be expiated. Your record must be cleared. But you also must be seen as righteous in His sight. His wrath must be appeased or propitiated. And you can do neither one. He says if the law could have done this, if the sacrifices could have done this, we'd still be doing them. We'd still be going on. He says, but in these sacrifices we know they don't work because there's a reminder of them every year for it is impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And if you want to look at the Greek term of that word impossible, it means one thing, impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, but we can even substitute that for our works. What are your bulls and goats today? What are you seeking to do over and over again each time thinking this will be my deliverance from sin? You're struggling for sin and say if I just do this a little more, if I just do that a little more, then I will have delivered myself from sin. Or let's even go beyond that. If I do this, if I do that, this will please God. God will look down and He will smile at me and say... I appreciate your hard work in that. See, beloved, we need to understand this is a misunderstanding of the Gospel. We have been bought by the blood of Christ. We are at peace with God through Christ. Through Christ we are seen as perfect in His sight. Our works are done for His glory not for any increase in our standing. Hear me today, if you come away uh, from today, or even later on, if you think these these good works and things that you're doing are causing God to look down upon you, and you go, what? I'm going to give you a few church points today. I'm going to elevate you a little bit more in my eyes, in my status. Beloved, you do not understand salvation. If you're presenting those works to God in that way in order to justify yourself before Him, the Bible says that they are seen as filthy rags before Him. Because there is nothing that can compete with the reconciling work of Jesus Christ and His blood being imputed over you. There is nothing that can stand that. So your work Will not work. By the same token, no work will not work. Listen to what the writer says. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, he says, About this we have much to say. He's talking about how it is that Jesus is our eternal high priest. How it is no longer by the law. And how Christ is so much better and so much greater than the old covenant. He said about this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He goes on and he says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation. Here it comes. Here he's saying what the problem is. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The writer says, we would like to explain to you the priestly work of Christ. But you cannot understand this right now because of spiritual immaturity and laziness. See, many, I fear, in the church today have come to the conclusion that they know all they need to know to go to heaven. And that's it. They are not seeking after the deeper truths of God. They're not seeking to know God more. They know the right answers. Many in the church have said, they know all they need to know. The essentials. Or some have even said, I'm just going to let go and let God. By the way, that is an unbiblical belief in practice. But here's what that really means when I say I'm going to let go and let God. The truth is, I'm simply just letting go. I'm just settling in. I'm just leaning back and waiting for this life to be over. I know the answer to the question, what happens when I die? Am I going to go to heaven or am I going to go to hell? I'm going to go to heaven. Well, Why do you think if you stand before God that you should go to heaven? Well, because Jesus Christ died for my sins. While that is the truth, beloved, anyone can recite that. Anyone can make that their mantra. When God saves us, He begins the process of sanctification, which means He is molding and making us further and further into the image of Christ. What does that mean? That means the more Christ that He is molding us and working in us, the more sin He is working out of us. We need to move beyond these elementary principles. Not that there's anything wrong with repentance. <laughs> Certainly, it's necessary. It's essential. Not that there's anything wrong with baptism. It's essential. Are the resurrection from the dead? Yes. But we need to move beyond from these and to know God more. My question to you today, beloved, is if you've been a Christian longer than five years, can you explain these things in detail? Can you explain to me what baptism means? Can you explain to me the resurrection from the dead or what repentance and faith are? If not, my fear along with the author of Hebrews is that this could very well be you. And whether you realize it or not, you are simply relying on what you have learned that Jesus has done rather than examining whether or not Jesus has done it in you. Did you hear that today? That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He says you know the right answers. You know what Jesus has done. But you're flirting with the world and the old ways of life. You're flirting with just sitting back and coasting for this world until it's done. And the question is, I know you know what Jesus has done. Has He done it in you? Has He done it in you? Because He gives a warning in Hebrews chapter 6. He says it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. What is he saying? Is he saying you can lose your salvation? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying what John says in his epistle. That you were never one of us to begin with. That you set under the graces of the preaching of God. The means of grace of the preaching of God. That you witnessed baptism. You witnessed the Lord's Supper. You may have even partook of those things. And yet saving faith was not in you. what Jesus had done but had never called out to Him in faith and repentance of your sins and cried out to Him to do that in you. Fourthly and lastly, why are we in good hands? Because faith in Jesus and His work always works. Faith in Jesus and His work always works. Hear me today, it is by faith and not by works that we are saved. Paul tells us this in Ephesians. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves, lest any man should boast, but it is the gift of God. The gift of God. True supernatural regeneration, regenerating God, gifting, saving faith. The the faith that He gifts us when He yanks out our heart of stone and He puts within us a heart of flesh that loves Him and loves His Word and desires to know Him more and more and more. That faith that He gives us that that compels us to call out to Him in repentance of our sins and turning from My way and dying to Myself and turning to God's way and daily taking up My cross and following Him. That is saving faith. Well, how do I know? How do I know, Trey? Well, my question would be today is where is your faith? Where is your faith? What or whom is your faith in? The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we often call it the heroes of the faith chapter. As he gives us numerous examples over and over again of those in the faith. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want you to underline that if you haven't already. Chances are many of you already have that underline in your Bible. If you have an underline, I want you to circle it. So I want you to hear this today. I want you to leave here today in two ways. Convicted and under repentance of seeking to know God more, but also encouraged. That we're in good hands with Christ. Listen to what it says again. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Many today have a misunderstanding of what faith is. They they think and believe that faith is basically an uncertain hope that when you get down to the nitty gritty of the bare bones of it, that it's actually more of a wish. That, that when death comes or the end of time comes, if, if I've walked well enough and if I've said the right things and, and done the right things and if I know the right things, then all of this will not be in vain. I hear this by many who are facing death are facing extreme suffering or trial and you talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and they say yes I've trusted in Christ and I I hope in the end that everything is right I hope in the end that all is well and good I, I hope that I have that I've done enough and you can hear it in their voice that it is a wishful thought that hopefully, hopefully in the end it will prove to be certain. Hopefully. Beloved, that is not saving faith. That is not biblical faith. Saving faith is not a hope. It is not wishful thinking that grows into a certainty. Rather, faith, hear me today, faith is the certainty. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that inspires the hope of the end. Faith is the certainty that we know that Christ is ruling and reigning in heaven. And that inspires the hope that one day He will return for me and His bride. It's not. We sang it today, beloved. It is not, I'll face tomorrow because hopefully He lives. No, beloved. It's because He lives, I can face tomorrow. I want you to hear that today. I want you to be encouraged by that today. Faith is knowing that Christ is is victorious beyond a shadow of a doubt that His work actually worked. We know that and therefore we long for the blessed hope. We long to see Him. Not so that we can say, oh, it is true. But we can say, hot dog, I'm glad to be here. I just want to see you just want to see your face because I've been looking forward to it for all these years. That's faith, beloved. And this is what we know about faith. Two things. True faith will persevere to the end because of Christ. Saving faith. True faith will persevere to the end because of Christ. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you catch that? Because of the witnesses that are surrounding us, because of Jesus Christ and His work, we reject sinful pleasures. We remove those hindrances. Not We remove them and we reject them because we hope that there's a cloud of witnesses. But because there is, that is faith. John Piper says this about the heroes of faith. The heroes of faith are those who are so eager for and confident in the joy God offers that they reject the fleeting pleasures of sin in order to be aligned with God's will. But Christ, again, is our ultimate example. Because He persevered, so will we. Think about this for just a moment, beloved. Did did you catch it? In the text. He says in verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Notice, it's the glory of God that compels Him to obedience. Notice it was because of the joy set before him that he endured. Not that Christ endured the suffering of the cross and then he had joy. No. But he saw the joy. And because he saw the joy that was laid before him, he endured the cross. Beloved, what is the joy? We are. We are. As His bride, we are His joy, beloved, as we have been bought and paid for by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 says that His purpose was to bring many sons to glory. John Piper says His joy is in our redemption, which resounds to God's glory. We share the joy with Jesus and God gets the glory. Isn't that beautiful? True faith will persevere, and true faith will suffer because of Christ. True faith will persevere, and true faith will suffer. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 and following, I would challenge you again to go and read it. But he says, Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. And he goes on to list those and even list some persecution. Again, notice that they do not suffer in order to have faith, but because they have faith, beloved, they endure suffering and persecution gladly. Gladly. True faith does not say, I hope I can do this. But rather, says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. True faith does not say, I hope He can save me. But rather, He who began a good work is faithful and just to complete it. True faith does not say, I hope in the end all works Hmm. Now, why can I say these things? Why can I say these things? The Word itself tells me that I am to. Hebrews chapter 4 says, I am to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it also says, beloved, that I am to do so with confidence. Confidence confidence. Why? Because our faith is not in vain. He lives. He lives. So as a result, I can look at suffering. I can look at persecution. I can look at sickness. I can look at even death squarely in the face and say, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me assure you today, beloved, is you may shout this from the rooftop or you may groan it out through your tears of suffering. But if you have saving faith, say it you will. You will. And you'll say it gladly. Beloved, we're in good hands. Beloved, we're in the best of hands. Christ accomplished what we could not. Reconciling us to a holy God. Making His people holy. No one can pluck us from His hand. Not even ourselves. No one, if we are in Him. I can think of no better words than this hymn as I close. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there may I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Dear dying Lamb, Thy precious blood will never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. And then lastly, ere since by faith, I saw the stream that flowing wound supply Redeeming love will be my theme and shall be till I die. Is that your song, beloved? Is that your song? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as the Israelites did so many years ago. Repent and call out to Christ as Savior and Lord and find that you're in the best of hands. Let's stand together.